Body J, a documentary podcast series from the Charleston Activist Network. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. And on this episode, we step away from Scotty's story to highlight the work of an area advocate, uh, a woman by the name of Zakia Esper. She's the executive director and founder of Sowing Seeds into the Midlands. It's a Columbia, South Carolina-based nonprofit that works to help decriminalize adolescents age 13 through 18 and provide alternatives to youth detention. Zakia is well known for her work throughout the state of South Carolina and has an extensive history in working as a juvenile probation officer and in other areas with youth, specifically with youth. Though this podcast is centered around the story of one individual, and that's Scotty, I thought it'd be interesting to add the perspective of someone who's worked as a juvenile probation officer and has navigated the entire juvenile justice landscape from a myriad of sides. Um, I think Zakia is a tremendous resource. Her personal story is inspiring. And I think the work that she creates along with her team at Sowing Seeds into the Midlands is admirable. So I hope you enjoy this interview and I'll catch you on the other side. I'm good. So um, thank you so much for making this time. Oh, of course. I'm excited to be a part. Okay. Well, um, I wanted to just kind of just jump into the interview and ask you um, to introduce yourself, your your name, and what you do. Okay. I'm Zakia Esper. I am the founder and executive director of Sowing Seeds into the Midlands, and we're a nonprofit based right here in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission is to interrupt the school to prison pipeline via advocacy, education, and direct services. Wow. That And, you know, I, I know I had uh, been in the same room as you. You and I both were yeah. reci- recipients of an award uh, last year from Wren. And I was just, um, when I learned about just who you were from mutual acquaintances, I, I was um, blown away. But I never really did my due diligence and researched what kind of work you do. And it wasn't until you and I connected at an event um, a few weeks back in Columbia that I really understood what you did. And I want to ask you, what drove you to do the kind of work that you perform? So I have been in um, youth development work since I was 19. So uh, I, it's sort of, I don't know how much time you have, <laughs> but oh. it's, it's sort of a long story. I mean, I, I was a college student and having a good time at the College of Charleston. Um, doing my work occasionally, <laughs> but <laughs> somewhere um, in the middle of my sophomore year, I received uh, a message from, I guess, like an advisor letting me know basically that I wasn't welcome to return the next semester, oh. which was devastating, right? Yeah, I got kicked out of college. Um, and I start the story here because I think it's important for people, like in hindsight, I know that this is where my journey began. I didn't realize it as it was happening, but now I can see that. Um, and I had a mentor who was, he was, he was basically a, he was like a diversity and inclusion specialist at the school. So he made sure that like black students and minority students, um, felt safe and seen in the space, which was a huge undertaking at the College of Charleston, as you know. And, um... He had actually just received a new job at Florence Crittenden Programs in South Carolina, which is a group home for pregnant teenagers. And he caught wind that I got kicked out of my kid <laughs> got kicked out of school. And um, he called me and, and asked me what my plans were. And I honestly, I didn't have any. I was like, I have no idea. This was my plan to go to school. <laughs> um, and I got kicked out. And uh, he offered me a job. He offered me an opportunity to come work with him at Florence Crittenden, again a group home for pregnant teenagers. And um, I fell in love with the work that I was doing there, um, with the stories of the girls, and and really with the nonprofit, the way that it worked. Like I was really taken by the fact that these people were coming here and not paying anything and getting everything they needed. I just was really taken by the how it worked, and I didn't really understand it, so I was sort of in the middle of it. Um, long story short, I wrote a letter to my school telling them what I did with that time off. They let me back in. I finished. I graduated with my degree in sociology and shortly after took a job at DJJ as a juvenile probation officer. Wow. And I was super excited. I was like, you know, I get to help the kids who are, you know, right in the middle. You know, these kids aren't in jail yet, but they aren't exactly like 
on the, you know, beans list that they've had in schools. You know, they're, they aren't, you know, considered the quote-unquote gifted and talented. These are the kids who are, like, actively falling through the cracks. Maybe I can catch one or two of them. And um, I walked into a caseload of, like, 40. Like, I walked in to 40. And before I left, my caseload was up to 101. What? And I remember just being, yeah, in Charleston County. Yeah, 101. And there were, and there were 10 of us. Wow. Right. And I remember being so just um, feeling so defeated. Like Sundays, I would literally get physically sick because I was not seeing all of my kids. It's, it's not, it's not, you can't see 101 kids a month. Um, they were getting in trouble. They were reoffending. So I was going to court and trying to, you know, advocate and not really able to because I didn't know all of them that well. Um, and just really feeling like I was dropping the ball because I didn't have an understanding then of like, reasonable case management expectations and the fact that that caseload was not manageable and that it wasn't my fault that these kids were you know falling through the cracks they were they were being mismanaged but that's because the caseloads were ridiculous and um I was really frustrated and just like you know I really want to help I really want to help these kids but I I was blinded by like the overwhelm um transferred to Richland County as a juvenile probation officer where I had like max a caseload of 30. Like I, I was able to build up to 30. I think one time I had 40. And it, that was because like somebody left and they split the, you know, their cases amongst everybody. Right. And so it was much more manageable. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll be able to help somebody here. I can, I can see my kids. I can talk to them. I can know what's going on. Um, and still I kept running into the same brick wall. My kids were reoffending. Um, we ended up in court over and over again and kids were not just like going away to boot camps and group homes, but like I have kids who I managed who ended up, you know, behind the fence at DJJ. And what I was able to see with a more manageable caseload was that the lack of resources in the community was a much more blaring issue than like the caseload in Charleston. Like the caseloads are bad and that's a problem, but there was still nowhere for us to send our kids in Charleston County just like there was no way for us to send our kids in Fishwell County to get the things that we were literally court ordering them to do. We are creating the court orders as, well, we're, we're creating the recommendations and we propose them to judges and solicitors and then we all come together and agree on it. But DJJ is where those recommendations start. So we are the ones that come up with all this stuff. You know, we say this kid needs a mentor. This kid needs mental health support. We, this kid, you know, this family needs family counseling or he needs to do 25 community service hours, on and on and on. Knowing full well, there are no mentoring um, organizations in our city that's gonna take our kids. Knowing full well, no one's, not, no one's gonna allow our kids to show up and do community service hours without a parent present. Knowing full well, the parents can't do 25 community service hours alongside the kids. So it was a setup. You know, it, 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 it felt to me like a setup where, you know, we're making these recommendations knowing that they're not attainable. Mm-hmm. And if, if we really say that we want kids to, you know, uh, be better, then we should recommend things that they have access to. And um, after doing that for almost four years, almost five, I think, I just was tired of pretending like what I was doing was um, a substantive offering it did not feel like it had any substance for me I'm not speaking disparagingly about anyone who chooses to do that work we need people doing that work um but it didn't work for me and I was getting in trouble because (laughs) I was talking a lot about the you know the role that we played as like systems you know the, the role that the system played in the demise of our kids. Like, I can't hold this kid accountable for like messing up or reoffending. When we told him to not reoffend, we think the best thing for you is to have a mentor. And we don't, we didn't get you a mentor. So I can't, how can I hold you to your side of the deal? And I didn't, I didn't hold up my end, you know? And so I realized I had to, I had to move differently. And um, I'd actually written the vision for Seeds in 2011. Uh, and I didn't leave DJJ until 2014. So it was something that I sat on for a really long time. Uh, felt like it, three years doesn't sound like it. It felt like a really long time. I remember feeling like, you know, I really thought long and hard about <laughs> if that was the way to go. But in hindsight, you know, we've been, we've been incorporated now. Last year made five years. And so 
Yeah, I've been doing it full time since 2014. That's the that's the short version. <laughs> no, I'm 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 sitting here like slack jawed and in both positive and and just you know astonishing ways. Like I'm, I'm really I'm amazed by your journey. Did not know where where it started um, from the beginning of, of being a student that had to I guess course correct and. Mm-hmm. You know, you found your purpose, and and, and it's a it's an amazing. Your story is an amazing story in that, you know, your own journey went off the road, and yet you found mm-hmm. a great a greater purpose uh, for service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think and what I, I'm what I'm also impressed about is that you did, I did not know you worked for DJJ, um, both in Richland and Charleston counties, um, and so you've seen the system, you've seen the the criminal justice system or the judicial system work from the inside so to speak um and i guess once you saw the failings of of the mechanisms that are in place to to supposedly help these these um these kids you saw the gaps and you wanted to create a solution and so you started sowing seeds so uh, i'm just i wanted to say commend you for your work and ask you what does your work look like now now that you've left you know um djj Oh, you left it years ago, but what does your work mm-hmm. and your day-to-day responsibilities look like today? Okay, so I'm going to be really transparent. So the, what it looks like is a lot of program management, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we run four programs. We have a mentoring program, a life skills program, a sex education program, and we provide opportunities for kids to do community service. I tell people all the time, we I didn't come out here and do anything innovative. People are always like, this is so amazing. And I'm like, y'all, I literally developed the programs that I saw were lacking on the court. Like what court orders looked like and what we were most commonly, you know, recommending um, and, and what, what wasn't available for our kids. And so my day to day really looks like <clears throat> trying to recruit new young people, um, making sure that you know, our programs, our, our, our staff, that we have people to run the workshops. I have five interns right now, which is, they're amazing, but that's a job, you know, managing people, making sure that they have things to do. Um, and I, I'm, I, again, it's, you know, <clears throat> in the spirit of transparency, while I worked in nonprofits, I didn't know what my ED was doing. You know, like I didn't really know what she was doing. So I knew what it took on the front end to run it. And so that's really what I've been using most of my time doing the past four to five years, which is completely out of order, (laughs) which my board would tell you, they're like, we need you to get out of program. We need you to be an ED. And I get that, hang on a sec. Excuse me, and I get that because that's my title. That's my role. It's really my job to make sure that the organization is, um, you know, well represented, that we're funded, that we're, you know, but so I'm, I'm really trying to be intentional about doing the work coming fully out of program and making sure that I am, you know, an actual executive director. Uh, but our life skills workshops are probably our biggest hit. We actually take them to different like conferences and summits and camps. Um, uh, the solicitor's office calls us all the time wanting us to do workshops with the kids that they work with. Um, we we used to spend a lot of time in court doing advocacy work and we're gonna get that started again. We used to go every Wednesday, but it's just tough. It's tough to um, it's tough to get there when I'm trying to be ED, right? right? So so as an executive director, I really can't spend every Wednesday in court. Um, I'm actually looking at my Midland Skills paperwork right now because you, as you know, that's like our biggest fundraiser of the year. And so that really is my priority um, and it should be, but I'm really looking forward to being able to staff the organization where we can get back into that because it's so important, you know, for someone like me to be sitting in a courtroom on behalf of sowing seeds. So when a judge says, well, we're going to send this kid away to boot camp or one to three months um and let's not forget the boot camps are you know they're they're funded by the state okay i'll remember that all right so (laughs) okay i just think people need to keep that in mind they all funded by the same people um for me to stand up and say you know well what are they going to get at boot camp life skills a mentor they can get all that at home and we know that the research says that our kids, when they stay at home, they're less likely, likely to reoffend. So really being able to be there in real time to advocate and what I always try to bring front of mind for 
for anybody that's working with young people, especially young people like ours, I'm gonna be honest with you, Tamika, I love our kids, but they are not angels, okay? Like there's a lot going on, you know, to criminalize our kids, this inherently adolescent behavior that they're exhibiting is not criminal, but it's annoying. Can we just put that on the table? Like some of the stuff they do, it drives their parents crazy, it drives teachers crazy, during camp it drives us crazy. We have to have both sides, because people people want to be like, you know, they just trying to lock our kids up, and I'm like, y'all, there is an element of criminalization of inherently adolescent behavior. So right. let's not act like inherently adolescent behavior doesn't drive you crazy. It does, and some, a lot of it is really scary and dangerous. It's just not criminal. Right. Right. No, I, I think you're right. Um, uh, you know, taking like I can remember me taking risks, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, your your mood swings and your, your decision making, your your, your ability to rationalize situations is impaired. I don't know if I want to say it's impaired, but you're definitely limited at a certain um, stage and age. So I, t- I think that's you being candid and being honest. I, I actually agree mm-hmm. with you. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's the it's one hundred percent impaired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like some of the logic in here, mm. you know, I, I get it, but girl, I, I look back sometimes on some of the decisions I made. I'm like, girl, ooh, you were a yeah. Dateline special waiting to happen, <laughs> waiting to happen, and that and that's the piece, right? Where I feel like there is a very um, because I feel like you said we end up in similar spaces and there's this like there's this narrative that um, people like me don't want to see kids held accountable and that's not at all the case um, I want kids to be um, I want kids to be pushed to safe spaces to learn process share and grow okay and I don't believe that jail and boot camps and group homes for kids who have loving families are an appropriate space for those things to take place. And the research shows that what I'm saying is true. And so I always try to bring front to the front of the conversation. Do we want kids to be better or do we want them to be punished? And sometimes the truth is we just want them to be punished because the decisions that we make do not bear any, there's no truth in, in what we do to young people that says, when we do this, you'll be better. No, it says, you keep making the same mistake and we want to punish you. And I and I and we, we don't even have to go into what that means for adults and like, do we want them to be better or be punished? Let's just say with kids and talk about the fact that their prefrontal cortex there's a part of their brain that is literally not developed yet and so scientifically we we are holding them to a standard that they literally that's why i'm okay with the word i don't i guess we shouldn't say impaired i guess we should say like you know it's it's not attainable they literally don't have the ability and so i I always try to liken it to i have a five-year-old um but right now it'll be better for me to liken it to my three-year-old like if he were to throw a tantrum or have an accident for me to drag him to court wow. for developmentally developmentally appropriate behavior. What they're exhibiting is developmentally appropriate. And so people call me radical and extreme, but I feel like it's an infringement on their civil rights because we we are we are criminalizing them for things that they can't they cannot control. And so do I think they should be if we see a kid exhibiting, you know, you know, violent behavior? kids who, when we charge them with assault and battery, I think those kids should be pushed into a space where they get to talk about conflict resolution, affect communication, managing emotion, and get them therapy, because why are you why are you exhibiting this violent behavior so readily, right? right. Um, or right. kids that, who that, are... It sounds yeah, like you're t- talking about restorative justice, restorative measures, as opposed to absolutely. just strictly, strictly punitive measures. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it's like, punitive is like, if you... I, I, to an extent, I understand the argument better for adults, not not fully, right? But like, I'm like, I can understand how we could end up not not to the extent that our our country is taking it, right? But when we because with kids, they literally can't, like their brain is not is not done, and so the expectation on our end is unrealistic, and we have to realize that we're not give we're not. <laughs> It, do, it doesn't work. We throw them in jail. We spend a, a lot of money, a lot of money to keep. I think it costs $197 a day to keep a kid in juvenile detention. Wait, no, no, no. Four. I'm gonna find that number for you. But it's it's an it's an insane amount of money um, to keep a child in juvenile detention daily 
And it's the, these are the numbers I used to, to get my camp funded last year because I was having conversations with people who care about money. And I was like, yeah, I'm telling y'all, my camp will cost us $55 a kid, like for, the, for a week. And it's gonna cost us, I think it was $437 a day to keep a kid in juvenile detention. Wow. I'm gonna find that number and verify that with you, right? Yeah, just just forward me any any of that uh, information, um, any of the, the anything you want to, um, please forward it to me. I would love to include it in the show notes of the uh, podcast um, because I think people can can take a look at the costs associated with what's going on. That that helps people understand the issue more, and, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and it it puts things in perspective. And, you know, go, going back to that uh, that Friday in Columbia on the 25th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was um, the event was called uh, Invest in Our Youth Success. And I, and I make this awkward segue because I wanted to ask you um, as, as a leader in this or yeah, as, as a leader in, in this type of work uh, in Richland County, you're probably in those type of rooms. That was the first time that I've been in um, uh, an event or, you know, of that of that nature uh, and mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you um, you're in those rooms often are the ideas or the approaches that you take to helping our kids avoid uh, you know youth detention and providing alternatives are, are the voices you hear in those rooms do they echo yours do you hear progressive um, solutions being batted around or what do you feel not to not to indict anyone in that room but I just want to know like what what is the, te- the general ideas what are the ideas circulating this issue and do you feel as if there is a groundswell of support for the work you do um it feels very scattered to me mm. and, and that that room was interesting for me because I got to hear about you know what what people in other areas are doing like York County but I got to hear it from the side of like a solicitor I feel like they were solicitors there was a lot of like there were a lot of court officials speaking right it was a lot of, and I, a lot of cops speaking I, that's the way I, I know that's not the fair way of characterizing it but um, mm-hmm. yeah I'm sorry there were a lot of solicitors so it was from a, a very interesting perspective I'm gonna use the word interesting yeah but. I found it um, I found it I, found, I was I was confused a lot a lot of the time but <clears throat> the room, um, it wasn't what I expected. Uh, that coalition, um, Tracy and I can't remember the other girl's name, starts with a J, but uh, they uh, headed, yeah, Jury. Mm-hmm. They headed up the um, the Race to Age Coalition and all, and all of this stuff, right? So usually when I'm in rooms with them, it's full of grassroots, like grassroots, um, you know, folks who are trying to get the work done. Now you're going to have like a, a couple of public defenders in there just because Richland County has amazing public defenders. Like we, we, we have really looked out with the kid, the people who are representing our kids in Richland County. I'm forever grateful because they go above and beyond for our young people. Um, but I, I think that is more what I expected. And there were a few of them in there, but they weren't talking. And so I was curious about um, who, who made the decisions of who would get the mic and what the objectives were intended to be. But I, I, I was intrigued by the fact that, you know, in York County there, I think it was York, I don't want to say the wrong county, but there's a county in South Carolina that is choosing to match kids up with cops for mentors. That's not, that's not what the, the research is suggesting is most effective. That's like by a long shot. You know, um, you actually, I'm, I'm trying to suppress my um, amen, mm-hmm. girl. <laughs> I'm trying mm-hmm. to suppress uh, because I couldn't, I, I emphatically agree. Um, and I, I know I had to leave the room to do some something, but I needed a break anyway. I had to leave the room. And when I mm-hmm. returned, you weren't there. <laughs> and, I and I know you're I I, but I, I, I know you're busy, but I really wanted to, I said, man, I really wanted to pick her brain about whose voices are, were being centered in that room and the solutions being offered. Um, I had, a, you know, I brought my friend, the, um, the namesake of the podcast, Scotty, mm-hmm. actually his mother, she works, she's, she's trying her best in trying to provide solutions but um, when you left, I don't know if you heard, she was being recognized very prominently by one of the judges 
um, that was present. And while that, I was so I happy, hear that. I was so happy to hear my my friend's mom, and she's a surrogate mother to me, be recognized for all her work. Um, I couldn't help but think about well, why you know uh, what 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 was going on. So I believe. I believe they were trying to find allies. I, I believe mm-hmm. they were trying to outline programs and, and paint them as very helpful um, mm-hmm. and find well-meaning allies who, who probably didn't push back on whether or not law enforcement or the system should have such a such a huge role. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but I, 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 feel, I feel your sentiments is what I'm saying. Um, right. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's I think it's tough, especially when, you know, and I, so I'll say this, I say that. And in the same breath, my my office is based out of a, a city of Columbia Police Department substation. And, and the story um, behind that is that I went to a gun violence prevention and criminal justice reform summit in Chicago. And I think it was 2014 or 2015. I don't know. My years are starting. This is making me feel old. I'm really not remembering the years anymore. <laughs> but um, I'm like, I'm a little concerned. But it, um, I met Deputy Chief Mel Ron Kelly there, who is the Deputy Chief of Police in, for, for Columbia, South Carolina. So I went to Chicago and met the Deputy Chief of Police of my city wow. in Chicago. Wow. Yeah. And he, and he says to me after he spoke, and he spoke so eloquently and told this story about how and I don't want to tell his story, but because he's, 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 it's a great story about how he realized that he was policing incorrectly, that he was not serving and protecting, and that he, there was a way for him to be with community that was, that was in service and, and would protect them. And it's a great story. I, I don't want to get into it now because it's kind of long, but, um, I was really struck. I was, I was really taken by, um, his speech and afterwards he came to me and said you know they tell me you're from Columbia I said yes he said anybody that would travel to Chicago for a gun violence prevention and criminal justice reform rally um and it's from my city I need to know why you're here and what you need and what's like what is it you know why do you care so much and so he took myself and everybody else from Columbia to dinner he went around the table and asked us why we were there and then went back around the table and asked us what we needed to get the work that we were so passionate about done. And I said, I need money and I need a building. And he said, I got it. That was February and April, he handed me the keys to this space. Wow. He had not paid one one red penny. Um, yeah, and the, and he's been here twice. Oh, wow. Like, and and, and the, the two times that he, he's come, and he's, and he's one of our board members now, and he's <laughs> an amazing board member. Um, and, and the couple of times that he's come, He's been bringing something for the kids for camp. Something, some, some ridiculous, like something like, you know, like 36 donuts or so like something crazy, you know, something very, you know, it's a gift. And so I say that and I don't want to be, I don't want to speak disparagingly because I know what it means to look to um, people who have positions of influence and power and see that they have resources that they can offer you and have to have some conversations with yourself um, about your individual, you know, beliefs. <laughs> um, and make decisions for the, that are best for the organization. Because honestly, this has been a, a solid decision for our organization. It hasn't brought any harm to our young people. Um, and so I get how they might have some conversation. Now, now, Deputy Kelly is very clear that if his cops want to be mentors, they will come through our training and apply and be trained. But I'm not partnering with them to bring in, you know what I mean, 30 police officers to be mentors. No. If I have someone who wants to be a mentor who happens to be an officer, that's different. That's different. Um, no, I think that's a, that's a that's a powerful balance to strike. I think that's fair. And um, yet nothing is absolute, right? Like my, my feelings on right. law, my feelings on law enforcement and, and mass incarceration um, are not without its, you know, you know, they don't, they, they're not absolute. They're not black and white. And I, and I, mm-hmm. yeah, for someone who just, that's what you want to see, right? I think the, the work of an organizer, um, like me or like you specifically is to transform mm-hmm. how power works. And if they're shifting power and, and shifting it to your direction or shifting resources to where you can be most effective, that's exactly, that's the desired result. That's a desired result. Absolutely. So absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so you yes, are you great. It works. You're currently you're currently operating out of a substation. Yeah. So 
this it's a house right oh, okay and what makes it so amazing is that um it's it's a house that was that was purposed initially to be um like a community policing substation so the police officers live here and they police the community they live in it doesn't work like that anymore but two police officers actually still live here they live upstairs on the top floor and we have the entire bottom floor so we have a boardroom and we have a space where we can do our workshops with our kids I have an office in the back and then there's like a full kitchen and some more office space in the back I just haven't set it up yet I'm getting to it but um the upstairs is literally um two apartments where two police officers reside and in the very in the backyard we have a garden um a community garden where our kids get to do their community service hours um and we donate most of the produce to um other organizations that serve people who um, are housing insecure and some of the produce goes home with the kids I have some grandmas who call me every Thanksgiving like I need some of my baby's greens and I'm like your baby ain't plant no greens but (laughs) (laughs) if you didn't plant greens ain't no greens granny that's a lesson in itself right you cannot reap what you did not sow son stop having your granny call me when you haven't been over here doing these flowers but um this space really works and I think a big part of the reason why it works is because um it is a home and like kids the first time they come they ask me if I live here they can feel the energy of like this is a home and for Deputy Chief Kelly when he was a rookie cop this is the home where he lived and he policed this community and so when he brought me here um and gave me the key before he did that he gave me a tour of the historic Waverly community which is the neighborhood where we live where where we live where the thief house is and it is it's one it's one of the it has it's so rich in black history um and i think it's just all uh very divine my grandparents my great-grandparents owned a one of the first black um grocery stores and i can walk there it's like a block from where i am now so i think um i was purposed to be doing this work from this space and i'm i feel very almost close to like my mostly at peace and the most centered when i'm here which is so bizarre because just take a scroll down my Facebook, girl. You know, I just am not, I'm not, I'm not big on the police. So uh, it's strange. No, no, I, I think it's, I think it's uniquely human and I think it's real. And, oh man, when you said divine, I, I totally feel that. Um, I f- feel like you really, you know, your, your life journey, like again, going back to, to the beginning of your story, you know, some, mm-hmm. something in the universe had, had its eye on you and, and you're right where you need to be. Um, and I think that's what our kids need. Our kids who are struggling with, with uh, you know, making decisions and those who are facing potentially incarceration or youth detention, mm-hmm. they need a compassionate uh, source. Um, yeah. yeah. I was, yeah. I was, yesterday I was in search of some restorative justice tools and I searched, I called two entities throughout the state, both in uh, Richland County and here in Charleston County, and, and there weren't the tools that I were look, was looking for for this specific instance. And I wanted to ask you, do you feel as if, I know you're you're there, you can't do everything, but do you mm-hmm. feel as if we need more restorative justice tools in the state of South Carolina to help our, our, our most, uh, most uh, fragile communities? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, I think a big piece of it is that there's people. So when we talk about restorative justice, right? I think we all have to be willing to have a conversation about our role, like our like the hand that we we play in people ending up where they end up. People don't want to tell the whole story, and so it's it's so hard because even even now, right? So I, I said I have five interns, which is great, and I want to make sure I'm not getting off track from your question because I am a rabbit hole person. I can hear one thing and end up in the left, right? So you're asking, it's okay. do it's I think okay. we need more resources? <laughs> Look, I went I went somewhere, I ended up somewhere else. Do we need more resources for restorative justice in our, like in Richland, in the state, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So even the frustrating piece for me being a, a community or like, we're never full, right? So we offer these services. I know how many kids are on probation in Richland County. There is no way in the world we should not be bursting at the scene. And it's a drag for us to 
you know, keep showing up. And I keep showing up because like you just said, Tamika, it is divine that this, this work that I'm doing, I'm, I know that I'm supposed to be doing it. And so I'm going to keep showing up because even if it's for one kid, it's important for me to show up. I know I've been called to show up. Um, but it's frustrating when I know that there's a gap somewhere in in the system and the referral process and in some things where there are people who need help and 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 so it's hard for me to say yeah we need more resources when like I know that we ha- we're a resource that's not tapped like like we're not tapped the way we should be tapped you know we don't get the kids we don't get half of the kids that need what we have to offer and so it's hard for me to say that I know that there are some people and maybe the resource that's needed is like transportation support maybe it's just like more support for the resources that are there um, because I also know of groups in Charleston who are doing great work and are looking to help and um, they're under they're underfunded and if, so it's like for us one of the big one of our biggest strengths is we literally Uber kids to get to us sometimes I have one girl who lives in Hopkins and that's like a $30 trip like round trip that's like $30 for me to get her here wow. and yeah and so if she comes three times a week and she's the kind of kid that's like Miss T I really want to come I'm gonna get her here every chance you know if we're here she can come that's 90 bucks a week for one kid that's not that's not that doesn't make sense it's not sustainable (laughs) you know yeah it's not sustainable Mm -hmm. and so to have these conversations with the entities that are that are serving our kids I mean because if you consider not necessarily that young person but if you're with a DJJ think about what rap services look like if y'all are making a referral to us figure out how to how to do some rap services so that kid can get transportation to us as well so that all can be covered because I've had people I've had kids whose parents tell you know the dart we have the dart so if, we, if, if the mom has is disabled um they can use the dart but they have to tell the dart that they have an appointment here so they have to ride the dart with their kids to come like to come and then sit back there, which is supposed to be a teen, an exclusively teen space. Like this space is for young people. Um, so we have to like hide her in the back office so we can honor the space, right. you know? And then it's just it's just a big, when you think about all that our families are up against, getting here is a, one more thing, which to me, that's the resource that comes to mind. I can only speak for Zakia. I feel like there's a gap in access the resources that are available that's what I was trying to say there's a gap there are resources out here but there's small small orgs like ours we're doing our best to make ourselves accessible to to the people who need us but it is it's a barrier to service so I'm hesitant to say that it's not out there just because I know how underused we are um but I will say that I think there are there's a lack of like access the resources that are available I, that I, I, yeah no that that makes perfect sense I firmly believe that um I know I think sometimes some nonprofits and some individual organizers um tend to, to operate out of um a, operate from a position of, of scarcity or thinking there's a mm-hmm. scarcity of resources and I I firmly believe that the resources are there you just have to connect uh with with those folks and, and in your instance it sounds like there are barriers between you and yeah, because I know people want to put kids in this program. They know your mm-hmm. work. They know your work is sound. They know you've, you know, you've been doing it um, very competently for a sustained period of time. So I'm, I have no doubt that people would love to know more about your, and hopefully, hopefully I can help spread the word about sowing seeds. Um, I don't I know how that. much, but yeah, uh, I had, I had two more questions for you. The first one is, um, so you mentioned about honoring the space and, and you service sounds like you service specifically teens um, and helping them, you know, h- helping to serve as an al- alternative to youth detention. What do kids do? What do the teens do when they get to your office space? Sure. So on um, Mondays, we have Mentor Mondays, which um, we have the kids come here to the space and then we actually bus them to Columbia College and USC where we have trained and screened mentors on those campuses. Um, when they get there, they eat pizza, they listen to uh, uh, clean trap music, because that's what they like, and they play games. 
getting to know each other. We try to make it as comfortable as possible so that they share as much as possible so that we can help them process as much as they are willing to share with us um, on Mentor Mondays. It's, it's very fun. It's very light. It gives them a chance to connect authentically with people who um, who are not that much older than them. We tried the older mentor um, model and it just hasn't worked very well for us. So we have, we're not gonna beat that dead horse. On Tuesdays, we have Teen Talk Tuesdays, which is a peer mentoring space where the kids come in and my interns who are all social work majors um, facilitate a youth-led conversation. So we really, they pretty much um, just sort of like throw a topic out there and they run with it. This month being Teen, um, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Oh, wow. Lots of our conversations have been about um, health. You know, what is what do healthy relationships look like? What does love look like for you? What is it, you know, what does it mean? And not telling them, but asking them. Um, workshop Wednesdays. Also, I'm super corny. So, Mentor Mondays, Teen Talk Tuesdays, Workshop Wednesdays. All alliteration. But um, for Workshop Wednesdays, <laughs> we usually have, <clears throat> and this is, a, this is me getting out of program again, right? Where before... I was running most of the workshops. Um, our curriculum includes Align, which is a workshop where we help young people identify their values, um, you know, figure out what their habits are and, and imagine what their goals are, imagine their dreams and figure out how those things need to be in alignment because, you know, what you value individually um, and what you do with your time being your habits and your goals, those things have to be in alignment. That workshop is so powerful because most of our young people don't realize that they are um, lying to themselves about what they even value, right? So they're telling themselves and us what we think we want to hear or what they think we want to hear or, you know, what feels like the right answer. Um, we use emojis to help them figure it out. So we have like, you know, the dollar sign emoji or the book, you know, for education or money or the hard eyes for like your bay or you know, the gas tank for weed. And I have real conversations with them about like, you're telling me you value education. And I think that's great if you really do. But then when we get to this habit section, I'm asking about how much time you spend a week on homework. And you're telling me little to none. Like you don't really value education. And I'm not here to criminalize that or say that's bad or wrong. It's just true. What is it that you actually value? Where do you spend your time and your money? And where do you put your attention? And um, that helps them figure out what they actually value. Then we will get to that goal thing, which most of our boys, is still true, y'all. They want to play in the pro something. They want to ball, okay? Yeah. And if, if, <laughs> if y'all want to ball, can't be out here smoking weed. So it makes it less about Mr. Kia saying, you know, you shouldn't smoke weed, weed is bad. If you want to, if you want to go to the NFL right. and the thing that's standing in the middle of that is you keep getting charges for possession of marijuana or you keep getting kicked out of school for smoking on campus, that is a hindrance to your goal. And so it helps it helps them figure out for themselves, what is it that I say I actually value? What is it that I do with my time? And where am I trying to go? And how do I get those things to line up? It is one of the most powerful workshops because no one ever asks them what they value. We always try to tell them what they value. Wow, wow. That's powerful. I'm sorry. That's that's amazing. You're right. And I think it also forces them to think, like you said, okay, if you want to get here, here's the roadmap, but you're doing this. And it's not, Mm -hmm. it's not in a preachy way. It's just saying, not saying it's right or wrong. We're saying this is, (laughs) this is where you're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They literally do it themselves. It's it's, it's designed for them. It's their idea. Yeah. but if, if you can make it make sense, I had a kid, and I will not lie to you, I had a kid who his goal was to open a marijuana dispensary. Like, he was like, I want it. And I was like, okay, so tell me how. His value was money. That was his, his, top, his top priority was, like, money. And what he did with that was smoke. And he was like, I want to open one. And I was like, give me, give me the roadmap. And he had it. And I didn't try to debunk it because that's an actual attainable goal. If he chooses to build a life, if that's the life he wants to have himself, I don't I don't have any problem with that, right? Right. And, and if I did, that's, it's not up to me. That's his journey. Mm-hmm. But, but we get further with our kids if we help them realize that life is all about choice and that they're lying to themselves <laughs> and us 
a lot of the times about what they actually value um, and if they can see what they truly value and if they see something that they value more than they really want to they can choose to make those shifts but I just I realize even for adults sometimes there's so many things that have been pushed on us as like acceptable norms these norms that have been pushed and pressed um, and and for us to think that kids would have the ability to break out of these things that we're still a lot of us are still bound to is just unrealistic so I've, I've done my best to to unpack it in a way that is digestible for them um and lead someone on their best path they might not get it right tomorrow but I think I think honoring truth is really what Align is all about and and what we try to bring kids into the space to do is to honor the truth of who they really are and everything that they can be and to debunk some of those limiting beliefs that they've been fed and and have taken root in their in their hearts and their spirits and um, we just try to build up whoever it is that they tell us they are um, and not who we tell them we do not try to tell them who they are and I think that's what's different about us yeah and and some of the other orgs that are out there. There's a lot of spaces that I go in to do workshops. And before I can even get to work, I have to do so much undoing <laughs> of what these other spaces, because it's like, oh, y'all think y'all can't talk to me. Y'all think I want you to tell me the jokes are bad, okay? And like, you know, education is the only way to like, you know, get what you, right. you know, higher education is the only way to get these success. And I'm like, I mean, do y'all really believe that? Or is like this what this is this is what we have taught our kids to do. Right. So we'll right. leave them alone, really. Yeah. So that's what they do here. But also they work in the garden. I know I got from tangent. So they work <laughs> in the garden. <laughs> um and what else do they do? We have a summer camp which is five weeks long. That's our biggest and most successful program. Um we served thirty kids last year for five weeks, four days, three hours a day. Um, and I think it works because they still get to sleep in. They don't come here till 11. We feed them twice. We do bi-weekly workshops um, and we do bi-weekly outings. So twice a week we go somewhere off, you know, off site and twice a week they're in, in the space doing the work that I was just describing. Um, so it's good. They enjoy it. They have fun. I let them eat what they want to eat. I know all the nutrition or always come at me crazy and I'm like y'all that's your mission you know <laughs> that's just right. not what we're doing over here right right if Chick-fil-A gets them in the door if Pizza Hut gets them in the door that's just I gotta do what I gotta do Sorry. I understand yeah I mean it, it is again I think I think you you're uh, keeping the, the teen in mind as a you know and mm-hmm. I know yeah I ate straight I ate straight garbage in high school <laughs> but right you know um, but I I think it's it's whatever it's not it's not that bad of an idea at all um let me ask you how how long do the does the average kid stay in the program that is such a good question so I have not been able to track right. um how that works exactly and this is actually a conversation I had with DJJ when I was meeting with them about um, three weeks ago they said you know we want you to give us we want you to give us a report when the kids have finished the program and I said well it's just not that kind of program you know I have kids who drop in you know who have been dropping in which is so amazing to me it's kind of makes me like a little emotional over like now for over like four years when I think about some of the yeah some of the kids that started with me and then I feel like they get into a it's kind of like therapy right so you know how some people go to therapy and they're like you know I go every other week this hour and then you're like you know what I actually feel okay and then you hit the spot and you're like I have lost my space I need to call her and get back in which is probably not best practices but I feel like that's what kids and parents do here where parents will like get comfortable with the fact that their kid is showing up differently and then they'll start dropping off yeah. And then Johnny does something crazy at school, and they're like, "Um, Mr. Kia, I don't know what's wrong with him, but he will be there on Monday." And I'm like, "And he's welcome. They're always welcome." So I haven't, um, and I think that also keeps the capacity again in the in the spirit of transparency. Um, not having a system that says like this is the you know this is the average time, but our 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 campus during the summer is June and half of July. Um, when we take August off and we start our afternoon, our after school program, programming back up again, September. Um, we usually do September, October, November. 
And we, we don't do programming in December or January. We like kids to be able to focus on like getting that stride back in school. It's really hard to keep them engaged in the end and at the very beginning of the semester. And then we go again, February, March, April, May. Oh, okay. In the middle of May. Yeah. So there's there's almost almost always something going on. Almost always something going on. But but I like how you I, I like that your answer. I know you know you're you're you know um, I I like what you just said in terms of if I asked you well, how long does the kid stay? It, it speaks to the the kind of relationships that you're creating um, mm-hmm. and the presence you have in the kids' lives to where. It might be a relationship that's long term. It just doesn't look, I guess, I'm gonna use the word traditional or, yeah, right. you know. And I, I, but I think that's more um, in line with what reality looks like. Um, and um, I think you definitely leave an indelible mark on, you know, each each uh, participant. So um, that's important. I think that's a victory too. I think how we characterize success. I don't know what the D, DJJ was looking for, but but how you characterize success can look so many different ways. Um, right. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. This is a personal question because this podcast, what I wanted to do, um, and I don't know if I did a great job yet, but what I wanted to do was at least just pose the question um, about freedom and what does that look like for those who've made contact with this criminal justice system. And that took me I wanted to definitely speak to more women like yourself, and I wanted to speak to those who are working with juveniles to to talk about to talk about how do we how do we kind of prevent um, the younger population from even being incarcerated as an adult um, or incarcerated or in, detained as a youth. Um, so I say all that to say that the, the podcast has brought me into a school, and next week. I'll be going to um, a school along with Scotty. Um, Scotty will be a, more of a messenger about his life story and the twists and turns mm-hmm. it has taken. And I'm going to be helping the kids create their own independent podcast. And mm. I, I'm going. <laughs> I'm going to a school, and I wanted to go here. I'm going to a school that's very, very challenging. Um, a lot of the students actually have felonies. Um, there's a lot of, you know, illicit behavior that takes place within the school halls. Um, and I don't, I I didn't get caught up in the salaciousness of the details. I kind of get it, you know, that, that these, these kids are screaming to be heard. And the, the best thing about this school, because it it serves as a, um, almost like a last step program to help them uh, avoid Mm -hmm. dropping out. And, and what I really love about the school is how, how compassionate and how engaged the principal is. Principal Mahone, and I wanted to ask you, going into this very um, difficult environment, I know I'm, I'm code switching right now, but I, I'm with it. Like I'm, I'm ready to go. Like I'm, I'm straight. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm right. terms of like I know, I know how to code switch and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm prepared mentally, but I don't know. I need advice. Like I'm going in here. Mm-hmm. How do I get these kids? In? I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to play clean trap music. I'm going to mm-hmm. say, hey, you know, you can do a podcast. You can launch your rap career, your singing career. I'm going to show them how to do that. I'm, I'm essentially, you know, trying to teach them a skill to where they can empower themselves. But what should I keep in mind when I go into this school? Yes, I love this question. It's my favorite. So, my advice to people who are going into a space with with young people. Um, any of them uh but especially those who have been it sounds like you're going into a space where young people who have experienced a lot of trauma who um, may not be super trusting right yes um is to out the gate be yourself even if you think who yourself is might not be attractive or familiar to them because the one thing they'll respect is authenticity and they eat people whole <laughs> who are trying to be something they're not. There was a there was a day uh, in my camp, the first year I did my camp, where I had a doctor's appointment the morning. It was like I had a, a, an appointment before I had to come to camp. And so like I had on, I put on like real clothes, like I dressed up. And so I come to camp and they're like, uh-uh, where you been? So I thought they were being like, oh, you look nice. And they were like, they literally were like, who are you faking for? Like, why are you dressed that way? What was so important? Because 
my clothes and I was like I had a doctor's appointment <laughs> and but they they literally and even with the facilitators that we brought in like they can feel when you're trying to be something that you're not and I think it's I think it's really a gift and I think it's one that we all had and we lost somewhere along the line probably yeah. putting on our own mask like you kind of don't notice somebody else has on a mask and you have on a mask um but when you're coming into their space like nine times out of ten you know there's a there's a, a state of comfortability for them and they're they're really just waiting to see if you're gonna um if you're gonna front or not and 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 I you get further like if you just come in out the gate being who you are um even if like I said that's not somebody that you think would would identify with them they identify and connect with authenticity I think we all do at our core but they they just haven't gotten as far away from it as we have as adults some of us right um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah and so that's always my advice Okay. No, I I, yeah, I think I think you're right. I I told myself I was gonna do that, um, and I didn't want to preach to the kids. I wanted I wanted to make it interactive to where they were actually yeah showing them. Hey, I want to hear I want to hear your voice. I literally want to capture their voices mm-hmm. for for the audio um, that will create. Mm-hmm. And um, I really want to yeah. speak to them and, and let them know that you've been seen today and you've been heard today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's yeah, one I'm, more thing. Yeah. One more thing, um, I I like to make sure that young people know that I know they're the expert. Uh-huh. So when I when I come into the space um, and I'm talking about, if I'm talking to them about teen, like for example, I just looked over at my at my board. Um, April is Teen Violence Prevention. There's a there's a week in April called Teen Violence Prevention Week. So if I go in to do a session on teen violence prevention. I go in asking them questions about their experiences and not super like digging, digging, but I'm like, tell me about like what you got. Like, because I am not a teen. I'm not. And so you're the expert. Like I came here to have a conversation with you. Yes, I'm a facilitator. I'm at the front of the room, but I'm very clear that without your input and without your expertise, there is no conversation. I didn't come here to tell you anything. I really came here to learn and to, to, to hear what you guys have to say and have, what you have to offer. Um, and if I do feel like I need to say something or like maybe read a direct or make make an offering, I literally say that I ask for permission to make an offering in the space because if it's 26 teenagers and me, then this is a teen space. So I like this is your space and I and I, I encourage them to own the space because that's how you get that's how you get them to be more comfortable and to share more and to really process and be present if they have if they feel ownership over it. That's why I don't let parents in here. Like they literally cannot come in. Oh, if when you come in, yeah. they can't. When yeah. you come in, if you signed paperwork already, like there's really no reason for you to be like lingering around this space. You don't even like this music. Like why are you here? You're, fa- you're turning your face about the music. You're not supposed to be here, sis. Go get your nails done. You got an hour and a half. Just go away. Go. But um, <laughs> make right. it- yeah. I'm, I'm like y'all. I give y'all an hour and a half, like three days a week. Go do whatever you want. Just like go do something. But making sure that they're reminded that the space is there that they're the expert and and when you have to redirect um making offerings like you know can i offer you know i've I've had kids say things like um you know uh nobody you know nobody don't care about me or nobody don't or, or you know things like that and it's like can i offer to you they're like even though i just met you today like i care about you like can i make that offering is that okay or like can I offer to you that like maybe if somebody's not expressing it to you the way that you may want to hear it like I can guarantee you there's somebody who cares about you that's just like that's that's a fair offering not offerings like you know I'm not safe here like I can offer you that you're safe here and you probably maybe not that's true you know so being conscious of like the offerings that we make as adults because sometimes what we when we redirect and what we offer is really to make ourselves more comfortable let's be honest um, it's not really for them. It's like, oh, I'm uncomfortable that the truth is this kid doesn't feel safe at school. And it's like, are you really not safe? Like, no, don't question their truth. Their truth right. is their truth. Right. You know, their right. truth is their truth. Um, so just being conscious of the the words and, and using like authoritative statements. And, and I think that that is just our nature, especially as black people. People came up from like, you know, because I said so. You know what I'm saying? We all heard that. So it's like, <laughs> moving out of that space really intentionally um, almost to like the polar 
opposite end of it, which is to, to, to respect and honor what they bring to the room because it's so much. I've learned so much um, from, from the kids that I work with. Like, they give exponentially more than I do. Oh, wow. I, I think that's, ex- that's exactly what I want to do is learn from them. And like I said earlier, yeah, I want to hear them. And yeah, I, I, um, I'm so appreciative and grateful for you, for the work you do. I, now I know who you, who you are, really know who you mm-hmm. are. Um, right, yeah. You and I both have a love-hate relationship with social media, so um, mm-hmm. I'm, glad we were, <laughs> I'm glad we were able to hop off the phone and, and well, hop on another phone, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, I really commend you. I, I really can't tell you how much um, I really just admire the work you do, and I'm grateful for you. And um, let me know real quick as we as we end the conversation, uh, where mm-hmm. can people find out more information about your organization? Sure. So on Facebook, we are sowing seeds into the Midlands, and on Instagram and Twitter, we are Seeds Midlands. And I, I know, I know you said really quick. I do have one more thing. No, go. Uh-uh. No, this is great. Go. <laughs> so I know I start the story <clears throat> when people ask me about, you know, my journey. And I think it's really important for me to make sure I land this because sometimes I, I, I get lost in the, the details that when I got kicked out of college for partying, essentially, oh. um, I... <laughs> I had someone who called me and said, I see that you have made a mistake. I see that you have found yourself in a position that does not honor where it is that you want to go or who you've shown up to be in the past. Can I help you? And his offering landed me in the middle of my purpose. And so I think I think why it's so important and and almost like not optional for me to show up for young people the way I do is because I'm I desperately want to continue to offer young people like a an opportunity to redeem themselves when they've made these poor decisions. Now me and you already know that the school prison pipeline is real, that our kids are unfairly targeted, all of those things. I got all that. That's true. But our kids are making mistakes. They they should not be criminalized for them. And so my intention with the the intention of the organization and the mission is to say, if we build a community and enough people, a, a movement that says, when kids mess up, here's who you call to offer them a hand up so they can get back on track. We won't have a we won't have a reason for them to keep funneling them into the courthouse. Like we want to be the cutoff. We don't want we don't want them to end up at the courthouse at all. The courthouse right now is calling us. That's just where we are in the process. But the goal is for us to be the call when kids in the community are making poor choices, are making mistakes, these things that they're going to do over and over and over again um, so that we can guide them through that just super, that, that, that period of time in their, in their life is very arduous, not just for the kids, but for the parents. So we want to provide support services to families as they navigate that arduous teenage, those years, right? Um, and I know, I know how it feels to, to screw up in a way that feels like you might not come back from it. Like they kicked me out. And to have somebody say, even as you're at, for my life, what was like, I made the biggest mistake in my life. I still see you and I, I want to see you win. Come over here, I'll help you. I'll, I'll never be able to prepare him for that. I, I, I was texting him this morning. He's still my mentor. Talk to him this morning. You know, I'm 32. And um, <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just want to be sure that like, that grace that I was offered, that redemption opportunity that I was offered, while it wasn't a criminal act, it was it was a poor choice. Um, that people, that that young people have those those redemption opportunities. That's really the the basics. That's the start and the end of it. Um, and I I just I feel like sometimes I don't fully land that. Like I tell the story very like oh he got me a job and then it started this thing, but literally like if he had not done that. I wouldn't, I would, I don't know what, I don't know how things would have ended up because I didn't, I didn't have a plan. I, I really think you're, you're, the beginning of your story and where you've, where you've uh, subsequently landed is a powerful story that many, many, many folks need to hear. And I'm just happy to know you. Hopefully we will work together in the future. Um, yes. Yeah. Thank you so much as you hit the road. Thank you so much for sharing, sis. 
You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. And I need to hear your story because, again, like you said, we were recognized together. And I was like, ah, I've heard of her, but I'm not sure exactly. And then I did some digging. So I'm like, okay, I got it. Oh, girl, my, my story is, okay, definitely. I bet. I got you. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. I thought it was important to delve a little deeper into the issue of juvenile justice and youth detention alternatives. And so in the next episode of the Free Scotty J podcast, I'll take you along uh, with me and Scotty as we visited the Septima P. Clark Academy located in Charleston County. Uh, We recently visited the school and we shared the art of podcast making with students and I left with a lot of information and the experience was rich was very rich and so the following episode will continue along the lines of juvenile justice and um, hopefully we'll help listeners understand the issue of incarceration mass incarceration and criminal justice and where it really begins right And I think for a number of us, it begins with our youth, unfortunately. So stay tuned for the next episode of the Free Scotty J podcast. Until then, stay free.